Life Audio. That's a big question, isn't it? But what is truth? Uh, Not the little t truth that is the truth that only applies to me in my situation, in my circumstance. But what is big t truth? Universal truth. The truth that guides us and should direct the decisions that we make. How does understanding what truth is connect to hope? We so often talk about hope, but can we really have hope if we don't understand truth? These are great questions, questions that need to be answered, and questions that, when appropriately answered, not only give us the right perspective of truth, but give us the hope that we need to continue moving forward in spite of the difficult circumstances of life. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Hello and welcome to the March or Die show today. Very glad to have you joining me and looking forward to sharing an incredible conversation with you. Before we get there, however, I want to ask you to do just a couple of things. The first thing, really simple, you're listening to the podcast. And I only know that because if you're hearing what I'm saying, you must be listening to the podcast. So please, if you're listening, subscribe. Very simple ask. I want you to have these episodes as soon as they come online. Uh, Every Wednesday, a new episode comes out. I want you to have it without thinking. It will be delivered directly to your podcast platform of choice if you subscribe. So please take just a second right now to do that. And then once you've done that, share this podcast out with others. Every podcast platform I've ever seen has a place where you can share the content with other people. Send a text, uh, put it out on Facebook, put it on social media. That would be fantastic. You ask, why do I need to do that? The more folks who listen to this podcast, the more our audience grows, the more opportunity I have to continue producing content like this, having conversations like the one that you are about to hear. And uh, my hope is that we can continue to do that. So go ahead and subscribe and then share this out with others. My guest today is uh, someone that I've talked to before. I have had the privilege of interviewing him on the other podcasts I do on Salem Media, the Salem Podcast Network, a show called The Situation Report. I've talked about that a little bit here. But uh, 
interviewing him one time before, I asked if he'd come back again for you, for this audience, for the March or Die audience, and I'm so glad that he did. My guest today is Dr. Jeff Myers. Jeff is the president of Summit Ministries, and if you're not familiar with Summit Ministries, you need to be. He talks about that a little bit. Uh, Down in the show notes, you can find a link to Summit and to some of the resources that he talks about, and I want to make sure that you have access to that. Um, Incredible leader, speaks on leadership, teaches on uh, leadership, apologetics, an understanding of what truth is. Just recently wrote a new book, Truth Changes Everything, just came out. Um, (laughs) Incredible principles for life and understanding uh, what the world is, what it's not, how to see the world from a biblical perspective. Uh, He speaks so well on these things. But in this interview, as you will hear, he, he talks about his encounter with faith, with truth, with hope, from a personal perspective, he gives some personal examples of his interaction and understanding of these in real life, in real time. And that is so incredibly valuable, grateful even that I could have this conversation, but certainly that I could share it with you. Uh, please enjoy this conversation with Dr. Jeff Myers. Dr. Myers, thank you so much for being with me. Really appreciate it. We have had the opportunity to talk on um my other show, shameless plug here for the Situation Report. You can go find that on Salem Podcast Network. But uh, I wanted to have you back on and talk about kind of kind of some different things, similar, of course, biblical worldview, how we move forward in spite of what's happening in life. Uh, but you have so much experience and so much to say, and you've done that for so long um, that I wanted to have you back on. So thank you for doing it. Really, really appreciate it. I'm happy to, Jeremy. Looking forward to the conversation. Uh, let's uh, let's start for those that uh, aren't familiar with you and Summit. Um, let's just start with your story. And again, I know we covered that before, and I would encourage people to go and check out our earlier podcast. But for those that are new to you and new to Summit, um, talk about your journey of faith, perhaps, and even what Summit does now and how you got involved in. in I mean, you speak, you write, you lead, uh, you train. Um, how did you get involved in all this? What was your journey to that? Well, Jeremy, my story starts actually with Summit Ministries, my, my faith story. I grew up in a Christian home, lived in Detroit, Michigan, rough place to grow up, especially yeah, when I was yeah. a little kid. You know, the riots in the city of Detroit when I was a baby um, were so bad that as many people were killed, as many people went to the hospital, as many buildings were destroyed in the city of Detroit in one summer as in all of the United States That's back in the year 2020. Wow. So it turned out to be a rough place to grow up. I was offered hard drugs for the first time at seven years of age. There was a dealer outside of our elementary mm-hmm. school. If you can imagine how perverse that is. Uh, wow. But I remember cowering under my bed at the sound of a gunshot in the streets. And it, it, it was important to my parents to raise their kids in a safer environment. So they moved back to their roots. My folks were from Kansas and Oklahoma. So we moved back from from Detroit, Michigan to Great Bend, Kansas. And that is culture shock, I can tell you. You could not find two more different places, I don't think. No, you couldn't. You really couldn't. And it was a relief in so many ways. But church was a lot different. Our church in Detroit, Michigan was a large, vibrant church of about 2,000 people. Then we moved to a church of... The church so small that our family of four increased attendance by 20%. I think it's probably the best (laughs) best day they've ever had. But... uh, I loved the people in that church, and I knew that they loved me. 
But when I started asking a lot of why questions, why do we believe this? Why do we say there is a God? Why do we say that the world is created because my teachers are telling me that it evolved? How, how can we think that God is good when there's pain? I had all sorts of questions. And I didn't find a lot of receptivity to those questions. I think the people in my church, to be fair, had faith journeys that didn't pass through those street level debates about apologetics. Right, right. But that was, that's what I wanted to know. So I quietly decided that when I graduated high school, I would graduate from church. And I know that's a journey a lot of people have taken. Yeah. A lot of yeah. people are involved in deconstructing their faith right now. It's kind of a current trend, but it, it has always been the case that probably 50 to 70% of young adults who are significantly involved in church in their high school years are no longer even attending church by the time they reach their mid-20s. They've completely missed the plot. Yep. They've come to believe that church is something that you do to please your parents or maybe to meet people or maybe that you maybe because you need some personal inspiration. And none of those are bad reasons inherently. But it, they, they didn't help me see that a biblical faith applies to everything. So my parents arranged for me to attend a two-week Summit Ministries program. And Summit Ministries is now celebrating its 60th year, believe it or not. Yeah, it's yeah. really incredible. Probably in the in-person programs alone, not to mention the millions who've been reached through uh, Summit's curriculum courses, about 100,000 students have attended this program. And I met the director, David Noble. He was the founder of the program. And I, I said to him, I hope you have a lot of answers because I have a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't take offense at that. And I'm so glad. But his, his answer surprised me. He didn't say, look, kid, just sit and listen. We got all the answers for you. Instead, he said, at Summit, we aren't afraid of questions. And then I knew. I had found my tribe. Yeah. I needed to know that people knew that these questions are hard. Right. And they're real, and everybody has to figure out answers to them. But I wanted to know that Christians were being thoughtful about it. So that began a journey, not only of understanding a biblical worldview and how it applies to everything, but also a journey that involved submitting my life to the Lord Jesus Christ and, and committing that I would live my life for him. That's incredible. Um... Do you think that the church, broadly speaking, is doing a better job of training young people in, you know, maybe you could define apologetics for those who are listening and what that means exactly, but do you think we're doing a better job or have we taken a few steps backwards? Where do you assess the, the church right now? Yes, well, the, the, the word apologetics is often used. We talk about worldview and apologetics at Summit, and both terms need to be defined, but apologetics basically comes from 1 Peter 3.15, where the apostle says, always be prepared to give an answer. And the Greek word there is, uh, is, is this root word apologia, or apologia. And it, it, mean, it doesn't mean to apologize for, it means to be able to give an answer for, to respond to. So uh, Christian apologists focus on helping people know how the Bible is true, the arguments for God's existence, and other kinds of things that help give them confidence that a biblical answer to these big life questions is a superior answer to the other worldviews that are out there in the culture. And 
Is the church doing a better job? I think there are more apologetics resources available. Right. But when you look at when you look at people who attend church who have a biblical worldview, the numbers are pretty shocking. Yeah. The latest research says that it's probably between 10 and 20 percent, maybe, of people who regularly attend church who claim to be Christians who have a biblical worldview, which is not to say that they don't love Jesus. It's not to say that they don't believe the Bible is true. It's just to say that they have no idea what that really means when you apply it to the big issues of our day, even ethical considerations. Uh, I, I feel like the last two years, as difficult as they've been, last three years, good night, as difficult as they've been for our, our country, our culture, and the globe, in a lot of ways, COVID and all of the conversations around race and the riots across our country, all these conversations we've been having tore the veneer off of a lot of what churches have been doing. And, and in a lot of ways, my assessment is that that's been good for the church in a lot of ways it separated out those who really do have answers from those who don't and put a lot of Christians in positions where they are now looking for actual answers from the Bible about why it is they believe what they believe. Has this started in any way momentum toward asking real questions, pastors in many ways getting back to um, perhaps a more expository type of preaching and teaching where they're much more concerned about thus saith the Lord? Um, has this period of time pushed us any closer to having those real conversations? Well, I think it has, at least for the young adults I work with. 75% of them say they do not believe they have a sense of purpose that gives them meaning in life. 75%. 75%. About 50% admit that they regularly struggle with anxiety and depression, both of which are very serious mental health issues. A third of them say they aren't sure what their gender is. Their, their confusion about their identity extends even to the deepest level of who they are bodily. So I, I really feel like a lot of young adults don't sense that they've been given truth or, or the kinds of questions they're asking. They don't really believe the church has good answers to. But it could be even deeper. And this, you know, I wrote this new book that's coming out soon called Truth Changes Everything. And I try to compare the truth, capital T, perspective versus the truths, small t, perspective. Right, right. The idea that truth actually exists and we can find it versus the idea that no such truth exists. Mm -hmm. And I think there are quite a few young people I work with uh, who I've seen through Summit Ministries who think that when churches give answers, they're just self-serving. In other words, they're, they're, yeah. they're trying to gain power. Because if there is no such thing as truth, then any statement you make is simply a power play. Anything you say, anything you believe, it's all a power play. And so they say, well, yes, the pastor gives answers in church, but doesn't really try hard to answer the questions that other people are asking. It's all just a way of the church trying to grasp, to reclaim the position of power it used to have. That's interesting. I, I, was, uh, I spoke at a conference yesterday for military active duty military members and I was having a conversation with one of the chaplains afterwards and and he said to me it's a challenge now as a chaplain even to push the people that we're working with toward church because they go to the church and they don't find the answers they're looking for or they find something that's very uh, performance-based and again these are very broad generalizations I understand there are incredible churches I attend an, an incredible church um, but his assessment was it's becoming more and more difficult 
to point people to a place where they can find community, but they can also find the answers to the questions they're dealing with. Yeah, and, uh, that's right. I, I think well, that's a lot of what you're saying, yeah. You know, you, you've probably heard of, of Steve Garber, wrote a book called Fabric of Faithfulness several years ago. And it was his observation, having worked with thousands of young people, that while maybe 70% of young adults walk away, the 30% who stay are characterized by three things. First of all, they're part of a church community that takes seriously a biblical worldview that applies to all of life. Interesting. And all of the difficult issues. It yep. doesn't ignore or deny or try to demean any of the big things that people wrestle with. The second thing is the, church, the churches where these young adults stay mentor them. They mentor the young people. A young adult who has adult friends in the church is about twice as likely to stay as one who doesn't. Wow. Uh, one who has a mentor in the church, and I'm not just talking about a mentor as in somebody they do a Bible study with, but someone who helps give them wise counsel for every area of life, just walks alongside of them. Those young adults are possibly three times as likely to stay. So those are pretty incredible. And then the third thing is a vibrant community of people who want to live out their faith in everyday life. And, and that's what bothers a lot of people about church is that when they go there and they're really looking for answers, they look around and realize a lot of people aren't there for that reason. And they feel confused and conflicted about it. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's so much there, and we could continue to talk about that. I, I, I've observed in your life just from a distance and um, reading about you and learning about you that when you talk about faith, you can speak very academically. You can give statistics and talk about research. You've written a lot on this. But, you know, the saying that your faith is not real until it's personal, that's a, a phrase that people have used. And there's so much to that. And particularly as you're speaking to young people, they're not interested in the academic arguments for faith and, you know, God and these things. I, I think more than anything, they're looking for authenticity, people that have lived this and experienced it. And you have walked a journey of faith for you know a long time in your life but you've also experienced things that have tested your faith and pushed you to a place to i would imagine consider whether or not you actually believe what you say you believe and what that means now can you talk about some of that and i know there's some specific trials that you've dealt with but uh, some of the areas in your life that have really caused you to dig into your faith and hang on to this is what i believe because i'm living it right now yes well, I've been very open in my writings about this, so nothing I say comes as a shock to anybody who's looked at the books that I've written, specifically books like, um, the, well, The New Truth Changes Everything. You'll hear a, a story that I hope we have a chance to talk about, but also my book, Unquestioned Answers, and my book, Secret Battle of Ideas About God. I share some of these challenges and trials that I've been through, uh, and, and they are everything from my from when I was in college, uh, I, I got my girlfriend pregnant and we decided to get an abortion. And I, I have to look back at that and, and realize I wasn't being a man in that situation. I wasn't willing to step up and take responsibility. And I've had to reflect on that, live with that reality. I believe God's forgiven me, but there was no question that I hurt a very good person and destroyed a budding life and and you know that i think jeremy as i as i as i went through that experience all those years ago it changed 
uh, it changed my understanding of what it means to be a man who's after God's heart. When you look at Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, you see a lot of people whose lives have been wrecked by all sorts of things. Besetting sins is one of the terms that's, that's often used in scripture. And the renewal of their faith in God came at a, a very high price. Uh, but there's also the suffering that we, we don't cause for ourselves, things that just happen to us. Everybody can tell their story of things where they've been disappointed or their heart has been broken or their body has been broken or they suffered some kind of a trauma that there, there's no explanation for it from, from a secular worldview. They're, they're really grappling with it. And, you know, you're, you're a Marine, so you, you would understand very well what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter uh, 3, when, I'm sorry, uh, chapter 2, where he, he said, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier entangles himself in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. Suffering is guaranteed. He goes on to say in chapter 3, he says that uh, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Right. That's his, that's a guarantee. So we oh, will experience these difficulties. Yeah, 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 that's right. So anyway, that, that's uh, maybe just a little bit of, of it. Uh, so when I write about evil and suffering, uh, how, how does God see this? How could a good God allow evil? Uh, these are things that I've personally experienced in my own life. Um, you talk about your cancer journey a little bit and um, some of the things just physically that you've gone through. It's interesting talking to people and counseling folks. When things are happening peripherally, sometimes we can deal with that, even if it's persecution or something coming from the outside. But when it's from our body, that's when a lot of people step back and say, God, I've tried to do everything right. I've tried to live right and make the right decisions, and I'm not perfect, but I'm moving the right direction, and then this happens to me. Um, how did you walk through that? Yeah. Well, it was October of 2020. We had just gone through the COVID, or I probably were still in the middle of it. <laughs> it's, it's hard to know where we are even right now. I, I have know, no idea. I know. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I went into the doctor, and he noticed something that wasn't quite right and asked me to have some tests. Uh, I'm very fortunate to live in a community in Colorado Springs where the medical system, at least in my case, served very well moved very quickly. By that afternoon, I had the tests and I had a treatment plan and a doctor to see. And within, a, within 24 hours, I was in surgery. Uh, but they were not able to get all of the cancer that, that was there. And it became clear that I would need to go through the chemotherapy treatments. And I, I remember sitting in the doctor's office uh, listening to the to the diagnosis and the doctor great guy saying we have a very good chance of beating this and he was describing to me the treatment regimen but I hardly heard what he is saying because my mind had already turned to wow uh, what about all of those road trips that Stephanie I, and I had hoped to take you know, we, we imagine getting a sprinter van and driving down the highway to see yep. the fall colors and blasting music and the windows are down. And 
what about my ch grandchildren? What I, I wanted to be able to have grandchildren and hold my grandbabies. And there is this moment where you realize everything that I thought would happen in my life could be at an end. Yeah. Now I, I'm from a, I'm a, I'm from a, a family of, I mean, we are healthy horses in our family. <laughs> my, my, as an example, my grandfather who smoked and drank and ate bacon every day of his life, you know, <laughs> died at age 90. So maybe that's the key. I mean, maybe we're all doing it wrong. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and so I thought, wow, here I am in my mid fifties. And this is what's, this is what's happening. Uh, my friend, uh, Jay Warner Wallace, you know, Jim, cold case Christianity, cold case detective, uh, really helped me with that. He said, you know, if you if you have a secular view and the only thing that matters is from your birth to your death mm. and you realize that your life is going to be cut short, then you feel that you've been ripped off right. from the rest of that time. Right. But if you view your life from an eternal perspective, mm. from God's perspective, from the moment of your conception all the way through the end of eternity, this life is so tiny. It's right. such a tiny right. part of it. And, and scripture tells us that we have hope in that, that Jesus Christ, uh, Paul went on, I'm quoting a lot from Second Timothy because I've been yeah. meditating a lot on it yeah. lately, but he said, uh, Jesus Christ appeared as our savior and he abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So there's hope there for us and for our world that there is nothing about death that can destroy what is most important about us. So the, yeah. I can, I'd like to talk about the journey a little bit that I went through, please. especially with my fellow cancer patients. Yeah, please. You know, here in Colorado Springs, when you go for cancer treatment, it's in a, you don't have to check into the hospital usually. I only did one time. The other times you go into a center and you receive your chemotherapy treatments and you go home. And my particular form of cancer, if aggressively treated, is beatable. And, uh, but it's a very aggressive treatment. Most people will go in and have 12 hours of chemotherapy. I had 66 hours of chemotherapy. Wow. Wow. So I was in that cancer center a lot. And, and, you know, you, you want to not think, okay, God's got me in the cancer center, you know, for a reason. And so I'm yeah. going <laughs> right. to, you, you, you don't, you don't really feel like that going right. through chem and chemotherapy that intensive is sort of like having the 24 hour flu for four months. Wow. You're not at your best, but I still prayed, God, would you give me opportunities to see people the way you see them? And to maybe, maybe walk alongside, you'll have to give me the energy to do it because I don't have it. But I realized, Jeremy, that the people in the cancer center, cancer wasn't their main battle. Hopelessness was their main battle. Yep. We were fighting hopelessness. Yep. What point is there? One of my friends in the cancer center, no longer living, uh, had gone through a very difficult life and through some choices of her own and other things that happened to her. She'd had a very rough life and had recently been able to turn a corner, had gotten married, was in a happy marriage. And here she was in her early 50s, thinking that finally her life had taken a turn for the better. And then she received this news that she had terminal cancer. And you know, it wasn't she, she didn't ask me to pray for healing. She said, pray about the d depression that I that I have. Mm. 
Like, I just don't see what hope there is. And, and it was so precious to be able to think back on those conversations, sharing the hope of the gospel with her. Where else is she going to get hope? You know, if, if you're looking at it from a secular worldview, what do you say? Do you quote Richard Dawkins? Well, DNA neither knows nor cares. DNA just is, and we dance to its music. You know, too bad for you. You're one of the unlucky ones. Yeah. No, that's not a good answer. Uh, what am I going to say from a, a new spiritualist worldview? Your suffering is just an illusion. This is all just in your imagination. If you had the power of mind that you need to have, you wouldn't be suffering the way you are. No, yeah. no, you want the hope of the gospel, knowing that Jesus wins. So being able to share that with her in that difficult time and with other people. And sometimes it was as simple as a Bible verse that I wanted to meditate on. I would write it out on a, an index card and then I would give it to someone else and say, do you, do you enjoy having inspirational quotes and scriptures that give you hope during tough times? And of course, everybody says yes. I would say, I'd like right. to share with you this card that I wrote out that I've been thinking about. It's given me a lot of, of hope. And everybody received that with gratefulness and people would tell me I'm so Glad that you gave that to me. I've got that next to my bed. That's great. That, wow. that scripture is powerful in that way. I think a lot of uh, a lot of people think wrongly that faith is a decision that once made doesn't change. If you put your faith in God, then that faith, and improperly defined, that faith, that confidence in God will carry you all the way through the rest of your life. So that if you at some point have what people would call a crisis of faith, you have something like a cancer diagnosis or the loss of a loved one or a financial reversal, whatever the case comes into your life, and now you have this crisis of faith where you begin to ask questions that maybe your faith is not real or maybe God is not real or maybe something's gone horribly wrong. When I think if we look at faith properly, we understand it's a day by day. It's a going back again and again and recommitting uh, our confidence, our faith, our hope in God and who he is. Did you have a moment in this process where you had to go, all right, um, my immediate reaction was thinking about grandchildren and thinking about my future with my wife and thinking about these things. But there's a moment where you, you look to God and say, God, what do you want to do with me through this? How did that happen in your life, or, or did that happen even? Maybe that was a decision you made a long time ago, and it was more, more organic than that. You know, I, I think I remember several specific times. One, in just talking with Stephanie, saying, I'm going to fight, and we're going to pray. We're going to go to church, just as James said, and have the uh, elders pray over us, which we did. Yeah. Uh, we wrestled through questions like, should we have chemotherapy or just trust God for the healing? Mm. And, and we realized, by the way, I went all, because I, I'm a big researcher, I went all the way back to Basil the Great, you know, who was one of the first, <laughs> first guy to found a hospital. And yeah. he said, sometimes the, you, uh, you use medicine to display God's creative power in mm. the body that the doctors apply the medicine, but God's the one who does the healing. But there was a, I think there was a time where I, I realized this journey is not going to be easy. And of course, 
how would I expect that it would be easy? Nobody ever says, I, you know, I put $1,000 in the market and every year it's gone up. It's never gone down. <laughs> no, it, I, I've only had a positive career. Nothing bad has ever happened. No, yeah. very few people have that story. So why would we expect that our faith journey would be like that? You know, I signed on the dotted line and everything has yeah, been great ever since. No, God works through suffering to shape us into the image of his son. The question is whether I'm willing to submit to the shaping process. Mm. And I, I guess as I went through that, I felt that, and Stephanie and I have talked a lot about this. In fact, we gave a talk at a marriage conference about it. It was one of the most difficult, but most moving things I think that, that we've done is that what happens is your time frame becomes very compressed. If you don't know how many days you're going to have, everything that happens in every day becomes more meaningful. Right. It's like uh, right. scripture says in Lamentations chapter three, that God's mercies are new every morning and his faithfulness mm -hmm. is great. I never enjoyed sunrises so much. I never enjoyed sunsets so much. I never appreciated so much when somebody brought over a meal or a kind word or sent me their thoughts and prayers. And then I never enjoyed the time just uh, sitting with my wife so much or the time of reading a books or talking to my kids those all of those things became more meaningful even the breaths my pastor one, one time prayed with me he just said we just breathed in we just breathed in thank you thank you yeah. we weren't yeah. guaranteed that breath and it, those sorts of things became a whole lot more meaningful I'm not saying that they were easy in fact, I, I would say this, I would not want to go through this again, but I wouldn't trade the experience of it for anything. And mm. I'm not even sure, you know, I know a lot of believers say, come on, man, that's just, that's what you're supposed to say, but you can't, it can't really be true. <laughs> one of my friends said, one of my friends said, really? Because I would trade it in a heartbeat. <laughs> But that, that, I believe that that is genuinely how I feel about it, that what I have learned about suffering, uh, and it's changed me, Jeremy, the way I teach, the way I relate to people. I'm regularly now having people tell me, you've been really shaped by this experience. You are so much more valuable for the ministry now. Your whole approach, your attitude, everything has changed as a result. That is uh, absolutely incredible. You know, I work with a lot of folks who are dealing with post-traumatic stress from uh, a lot of combat post-traumatic stress, but even just life because that's life. Um, and it is amazing when people begin to see their own experience appropriately in that God is still God and God still has a plan and a purpose and a direction for them that they can use what has happened to them to be a blessing and a benefit to others. And that's extremely yeah. powerful. I mean, it's, it's so, I don't know if disarming is the word, but it, it, it creates a bridge to people who are truly hurting and truly broken and, as you mentioned, hopeless, because you can say, my experience is, I understand, because I've been there, what you're going through, and God is the answer. There, there is no substitute for that. Yeah, that's right. Your hopelessness is real, but your hopelessness is not all of your reality. 
That's good. And, and that has been, that's a message that I, I know a lot of biblical counselors really try to give to people. That if you're grappling with something, the first thing you've got to do is see reality for what it really is. Isn't that interesting that Jesus said in John 8, 32, if you follow my teachings, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The Greek word he uses for truth there, or at least the Greek, uh, the Greek word that the, the words of Jesus were translated into is the word aletheia. It's the word, it's the word for reality. The first thing you've got to do is grapple with reality, the reality of your situation but also the bigger reality of God's existence and his careful consideration of every moment of our day. Uh, Dr. Myers, uh, I'd love to talk about this for a long time. Maybe we can do a third interview, but um, before we go, I would like for you to spend a few minutes talking about the book that's coming out, Truth Changes Everything. Yes. Um, because that is everything. That's the whole deal. Yeah. So can you talk to us about I, that for a minute? What I have it a copy is right what here. What can expect from it? Yeah. All right, look at that. There it is. It's called Truth Changes Everything. If you just Google Truth Changes Everything, you'll find it. Some people are buying it on Amazon.com. Others are buying it at Summit.org. Either way is good. We've both got it in stock. But the book comes out October 18th. And when the when the book is released, the my my hope for it is that people will first of all see the battle that we are in. There is a battle over truth, capital T versus truths, small t. The idea that we would seek the truth has been displaced by the idea that we speak our truth. Yeah, and yeah. it has led to a profound lostness of people in our culture. People are discouraged. They don't think there's any place to turn. It's like they're out in the wilderness navigating using a compass by trying to make sure that the red needle always points toward them. They're not more found. They're more lost. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the big question I, I tried to grapple with in the book is, well, then what, what is truth? And, and this probably will upset some people more in the secular world, but people who believe in truth, but they think it's a, a mathematical formula, you know, right. or a modeling of the world or yeah. people who yeah. thinks that it's just a set of logical propositions. I maintain in the book that truth is all of that, but it's a person. It's Jesus. And people who believed that Jesus is the truth literally changed the course of history in our understanding of human dignity medical care, science, art, education, yeah. justice, politics, even the value of our everyday work. All of these things that we consider to be good, advancements in society, all began with Jesus followers, not who's, not ones who set out to change the world. You know, None of them that I know of ever put on their college application, I want to change the world. They just, they just did what God had called them to do to the best of their ability and in a way that would bring honor and glory to him and then let the results speak for themselves. So in times of crisis, this is the most important message that we can have. Truth exists and it's worth discovering and it's worth standing for. That's awesome. You've written some incredible books and uh, this one, Confronting Truth, and what a timely book. <laughs> and I'm sure that's why you wrote it right now, but what a timely book, oh, man. Uh, Praying that God continues to use it. And if we could get a hold of that, we'll, we'll deal with the kids who are searching for truth and churches who are unsure about what they should be preaching and teaching in a culture that's confused. If we'll just seriously consider and understand truth that comes from God. Uh, yeah. Thank you for writing that. Where can people 
um, follow you uh, in addition to finding the book, but follow you and learn more about Summit? Well, the best way is just to learn more about Summit Ministries. You just come to summit.org and you can sign up for the resources we have there. We've got a resource library. We want all young adults ages 16 to 22 to come spend a couple of weeks studying with my colleagues and me. These are Christian thought leaders who love Jesus, but who are the top in their field. And you can ask all of your hard questions. We want young adults to do that. For everybody, we actually, Summit Ministries has a brand new resource that might be helpful to people. It's a, it's a small group course on biblical worldview that features Kirk Cameron, Lee Strobel, John and Corey Cooper from Skillet, and a lot of other people you'll recognize talking about why they have a biblical worldview and how it affects their understanding of Jesus, truth, reality, um, and even society. That's called Now We Live. And it's brand new and it's, it's available for free. This would be a great place for people to start with your small group. Get your whole church to do it with their small groups. NowWeLive.com is where you can get started in that. That's great. I will make sure all of that is, uh, is linked so those listening can go ahead and uh, click that link and go right to that, find that resource and the others. Dr. Myers, thank you so much. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, thank you for your transparency and your honesty and just your help. <laughs> we need direction, and uh, you've worked so hard for so long to do that. So thank you. Really appreciate it. Well, Jeremy, thank you for everything that you do for people who serve in the armed forces or who have served in the armed forces. Uh, we owe a great deal to them and to their sacrifice. And that, that uh, obligation doesn't end when people leave the battlefield. When they're in the battle space, yes, but also in the battle space of life. And so thank you for right. serving in that way. So thankful for Dr. Myers. And um, <laughs> he is one of the guests that uh, I will invite back as often as he's willing to come back on and talk so much to unpack, so much to discuss. But what I thoroughly appreciated from this interview, deeply appreciated, was that he not only understands truth and a biblical worldview and apologetics and theology from an intellectual perspective. He understands it from a lived perspective. Faith is real because he has really had to lean into that faith and understand who God is and how God works even in his own life. So grateful for that, grateful for uh, his influence for the work of Summit Ministries, of course, and uh, just incredible. Um, I could not recommend any more highly their ministry what they do, the resources that they produce, and the new book, Truth Changes Everything. Please hit that link in the show notes description, and you can go right to that. Really appreciate him being on with us today, and appreciate you. Please, if you have not yet taken time to subscribe, I've already asked, but please do that. Subscribe, a very simple thing that you can do for me and for the show, and then share this content out with others. Uh, again, every podcast platform has a place where you can share that episode with other people, send a text, put it out on social media, send an email, whatever you need to do, get it out to other people. That helps the podcast grow, that helps the platform grow, and that gives me more opportunity to have conversations like this one, and I really appreciate that. I'll remind you, as I do every single week, that when the bullets are flying, when the world around you seems to be falling apart, you only have two choices. You can stay where you are and die, that emotional and spiritual and relational death. You can do that if you want to. It's a choice that you make. But the better decision is to put one foot in front of the other and march. Will you march or will you die? The choice is always yours. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Look forward to talking to you next time.
Many of our veterans feel they need to fight their battles alone. This self-isolation has led to the staggering statistic of more than 20 veterans taking their lives every day. The mission of Mighty Oaks is to eradicate the veteran suicide epidemic and help our warriors change their legacies. We've been able to help over 4,000 veterans and first responders by equipping them with the tools they need to live the lives they were created to live. Our faith-based, peer-to-peer approach has one of the highest success rates of any program available today, offering hope and understanding to those who need it most. By aligning their lives to biblical principles, these men and women are able to lead their families, their communities, and our nation. It's your generosity that can make a difference in the lives of the men and women who have fought for our country and our freedoms. Now that they're home, don't let them fight alone. Learn more at MightyOaksPrograms.org. Need more of God's power in your life? I'm Christina Patterson, host of the Teach Us to Pray podcast, providing practical tips on how to grow your faith through prayer. Subscribe at LifeAudio.com.